Hello, and welcome back to We've Never Been Clicked. I'm Cuppy Cup, and I am delighted to bring you another exciting guest today. We are joined by ESPN's Bill Connolly. How are you, Bill? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. How's the whole transition going from SB Nation to ESPN for you? It's been great. Everybody's been very, very nice. My stuff's you know, gotten well promoted and whatnot, and we'll see. Maybe it's all unsustainably great right now. <laughs> so did you move to Bristol? No, 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 no. I still live in Missouri. Basically, like I'll be visiting there about once a month during the season, but no, I got to, I got to stay where I was. Okay, so that, that might answer one question I had. I, I want to know if you're going to be on TV. A little bit. Here in a couple of weeks, I'll go back up and there'll be a decent amount of college football live stuff, decent amount of daily wager stuff. Beyond that, it'll just be kind of situational and we'll see what comes up. But I do think those are the plans right now. Okay. Did you say daily wager? So are you going to be on the gambling side? Yes. I learned long ago and I've embraced it over the last year. Like I don't gamble, but my interests and gamblers interests are like, you know, just one circle on the Venn diagram. Yes. Uh, so we get along really well. <laughs> All right. Very cool. To kick things off with the, obviously most of our listeners are going to be Texas A&M fans, but this question could apply to just about every fan base. Why do you, and why does the SMP hate my team? It's pretty hard for an A&M fan to, to get away with saying that, I think, on average. But That's true. But no, I mean, it's because, you know, I was personally slighted and I baked it into the algorithm, uh, <laughs> you know, to get uh, revenge for all the people who have slighted me in the past. <laughs> My beef with the S&P, and I, I don't have a real beef with it, but the S&P Plus <laughs> always has A&M ranked pretty well. So I think we were number 13 going into 2019. My beef is with the projected win totals. Right. We're number 13 and the projected win totals 6.9 wins. That hurts me and it, it brings me a lot of agony. Yeah, I mean, you guys in South Carolina both. Uh, I mean, it's not my fault. It's not S&P's fault. You guys took on the stupidest schedule uh, imaginable. <laughs> now, I, I do have S&P updates coming up uh, here pretty soon. I've just about finished all the groundwork for that. And, and when that happens, Clemson will be number two and Georgia will be number three. I was happy to see that. I hated that Georgia was number two. But either way, we're playing at number two and number three. Number four is L LSU. You're playing at number four. You're hosting number one. You're hosting number eight. Hosting number 10. Mississippi, my numbers love Mississippi State for some reason, and, and, and you're hosting them too. So, I mean, right. it's pretty absurd that, um, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six uh, top 10 opponents, including each of the top four. You guys in South Carolina, though, I mean, power to you. Like, as a Mizzou guy, I'm more than happy to just be playing like West Virginia and Wyoming in non-conference and, and getting uh, Ole Miss and Arkansas from the West. This roughly seven wins, then that comes from losing to Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and then one of Mississippi State or Auburn, probably? Yeah, I mean, something to that effect. Or maybe you beat one of those teams but lose to a South Carolina. South Carolina's 18th, you know. Yeah. So um, it, just any comment, it's just it's a pure odds thing. And, I mean, over time, a really, really good team would probably go about 9-3 and three against A&M's schedule this year. All right, that's fair. Well, I guess we've uh, dug our own grave in a sense. But a lot of fans are excited about having the, the marquee schedule and the power matchups. I don't know if the roster's quite ready to take on this year's work. Yeah. No, no shortage of big matchups, at least. I have a piece that I'm going to try to put together in August 
you know, you could make a case that A&M is the most important team in college football this year. They have a shot to beat Alabama and Clemson and Georgia and LSU. And no matter who that, you know, they won't beat all of those teams, but who they beat, it could very much kind of define the national title race. So it's very, very interesting. You think about Kellen Mond, he did really, really well last year. But if he takes another step forward with a receiving core that doesn't have just sophomores everywhere this time around, they could absolutely do enough damage to be one of those teams at least. And, and we'll just have to see which one it is. That's fascinating. So I think that article on the A&M side would be well received because we, we like to, to feel so, important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of, of those four, and I, I ask this to quite a few of our guests, but of Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU, which one do you think A&M has the best chance to beat? I mean, Alabama's at home, so you could start there. Um, I do think, though, getting Clemson early is going to be a really, really big thing. I mean, Clemson, um, you know, we, we know how ridiculous their offense could be. There's no question about that. But that defense at least has new faces. You know, there's no reason to question Print Venables. There's no reason to question the overall talent level. But when you lose five of six defensive linemen and then six of seven linebackers as well, um, they're just going to be new faces. And there's a chance for miscommunication. There's a chance for a breakdown here and there. So the most interesting thing about Clemson's schedule to me is the fact that you can make the case their two most losable games are in weeks two and three. And so, I mean, on one side, if they get through this, this, the trip to Syracuse 3-0, and well, then just go ahead and pencil them into the playoff. But at yeah. the same time, they, they have work to do. And, and so getting A&M right in there in the second week, and A&M's a team here. Trevion Williams is gone, obviously, but I think A&M's still a team that could punish, appropriately punish whatever mistakes that front seven makes while it's still figuring things out. I think because of timing, maybe I would say that game. Good. I'm making notes. I'm penciling these in as wins now. So I have Alabama at home as a win. Clemson on the road as a win. (laughs) I like what you're saying. But speaking of those early season matchups, what are the best non-conference matchups in week one? It's a curiosity thing for me. Like there are just so many teams you have questions about heading into the season. So even starting on that Thursday, UCLA, Cincinnati, I have major questions about UCLA and, and their breakthrough ability. And so we'll learn something about that immediately. Utah, BYU on, on Thursday, well, you know, Utah could absolutely be a top 10 or 15 caliber team. So getting to getting a chance to see them in a, in a tricky spot early on is, is a really, really good thing. But then heading into Saturday, well, first of all, Ole Miss Memphis is interesting because if Memphis wins, they could be kind of the new, your new year's six favorite. Okay. Um, I, I, I think, I think very, very highly of Memphis this year. Um, if they get past that game anyway, Duke Alabama, just kidding. But, well, Boise State, Florida State's another one that um, massive number of questions about Florida State and about Boise State's quarterback situation. Um, so you know, even before we get to kind of the, the headliner, which I guess is Auburn, Oregon, is that what we're counting as the kind of the main uh, Saturday night? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's what Boise State, Florida State on ESPN, Auburn, uh, Oregon on ABC. The other two, the Sunday-Monday games, not so much. Um, Houston, Oklahoma could be interesting. I mean, Houston, who the heck knows? You got Dana with no major expectations. That could be weird. But um, no, no, I mean, I, I think uh, there are just questions to answer everywhere. But the two headliners on, on primetime should both be really fun. You, you were talking about all the curiosities you have going into week one. We're curious. Uh, I say we're because uh, one of the other Good Bull Hunting authors sent me this question for you, Jimmy. Uh, he wanted to know how you watch football games. Like, are you just watching it, kind of crunching numbers in your head? Are you, are you sitting in front of a wall of spreadsheets? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I probably have the spreadsheets pulled up, even if I'm not 
using them directly all that uh, much. But no, I mean, I, I just try to absorb. Like, there's yeah. DVR as many games as possible. I, you know, I try to watch the the primetime stuff live, but through the day, I'm mostly just, you know, catching up on one DVR game, moving to another, trying to catch up on that, just bouncing back and forth and trying to absorb as much because then on Sunday, you know, I get to see all the numbers in front of me. Nobody, nobody has yet, you know, created something where I can re- keep track of like live success rates and whatnot. So it's kind of hard to keep up with that to a certain degree. I mean, I, I, I think the numbers have impacted the way I watch the game. And just in terms of watching the, like the line push early on, watching how many, even if you're converting them, how many second and nines or third and sevens you're finding yourself in early in a game, because that usually catches up to you. Mm-hmm. So I think it affects me in that way. But really, I'm just trying to, to see as many different teams and personnel and plays as possible. And then I look at the numbers on Sunday. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I was, when I pulled the article that you wrote about the SEC West, I saw you included the the FPI projection. I always looked at the FPI as your arch nemesis. So it's kind of like SMP plus versus FPI. So now that you're inside the organization at ESPN, have you learned anything new about FPI or has it uh, (laughs) altered your opinion or is it, is it going to go away? It, it, it is not um, because it's very good. And, and for the record, like go through the PAPN archives and you will find me complimenting FBI many, many times. <laughs> sure, no, sure. I, it is funny. I think it, it is like SAP and FBI are pretty similar. I mean, we both systems actually try to boil things down to the play by play level and, and few do that. And so they spit out pretty similar results. There are very distinct exceptions, but for the most part, I think it's more similar to FPI than most of the other systems that we kind of, are generally familiar with and so uh, it's been really interesting in that regard just seeing like what the differences are like wisconsin fpi and SP disagree drastically uh with wisconsin this year and what their projections should be and there are random teams like that but no i mean for the most part when i was putting both of those win projections up there they were within like 0.2 or 0.3 wins most of the time so we're a team we're going to be a nice little uh, team, uh, and I, I can. Uh, they certainly have the capability to do a lot more of like percent chance of winning conference and whatnot. I've never got that all the way set up, so I'll certainly lean on that a little bit too. Okay, good. I this year, just this year, I prefer FPI because they have A and M at seven point four wins at, instead of six. Of course, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so now that, you haven't seen my updates yet. Maybe, maybe oh. I'll, when I update everything, it'll be seven point five. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So whichever one's uh, got A&M doing, doing better is the more accurate, I feel, this of season. Course. So you, you you mentioned the gambler's interest in S&P Plus. I'm curious, have you run anything to like compare your projections versus past spreads to see how you do? Anytime, and I don't use this to as part of the redesign, but after I've created uh, you know a, a, a redesign of everything, and I, I did a pretty big one this off season. First of all, that makes things difficult because you know you can find historical rankings, and I have to go update all of those because I've changed everything. Right. But once I do, like one of the tests I use is I go back and, and run through previous years and see the how, how it performed against the spread, and then how it performed in terms of absolute error, which is you know just basically the like the raw how much did you miss this game by right and so the the best systems are going to be usually on average that absolute error is going to be something in the neighborhood of like twelve point four to twelve point eight points per game um and then you know a, a good performance against the spread is going to be like fifty two fifty three percent generally s and p especially the updated version here, it usually hits about 53 to 54% against the spread and is right at that like 12.8 or so points per game. So that's, I'm fine with that. That's, I, okay. I have it where I want it. Where, where it's funny though, because like FPI dominates 
the absolute error number, but doesn't do all that well against the spread. And and that's kind of interesting to me. And I think it's probably it's like I can I can tinker with the knobs a little bit and create something that's very volatile, but does even better against the spread. Um, just because when it hits, it really hits, and when it misses, it really misses, and all this stuff. And it's kind of interesting to figure out how conservative or aggressive to be in that regard. But that's where I'm at now. I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, and that explains the gambler's interest in what you're doing. If you're doing, if yeah. you're hitting 53% or 54%. Now, now speaking of these retrospectives, kind of going back and seeing how you did, uh, you've written some things on past A&M teams, the 2012 A&M team, and of course 2011, where A&M blew all those halftime leads. Uh, right. I just want to ask if you're, uh, and I, and not not precisely because I didn't prepare you for this question. But if you're look, you don't have to dig through the S and P archives. But <laughs> if you're comparing the 2012 A and M team preseason to the 2019 A and M preseason team, which one do you feel is superior? In the preseason, so like knowing what we knew heading into 2012, or like what we knew at the end of 2012. What we knew heading in, so it's Johnny Manziel, redshirt freshman, unknown quantity. Yeah, I mean, really, I'd say you're about on the on the the, the same level because in 2011, with the updated numbers, A&M was yeah, they were seven and six in 2011, but they were 11th overall, uh, which is still pretty amazing. Yeah, they were, on paper that was a 10 win team that won seven games. Sorry to bring all that up again. Yeah, I know, actually, you did it first, so it's <laughs> that's right. <laughs> But so, I mean, they were 11th. They returned quite a bit of overall production on both sides of the ball. They just had an issue at quarterback. Where who, who was the guy who I thought, like, who a lot of people thought was going to start instead of Manziel? He ended up, is he the one that ended up at UTEP? Oh, Jamil Showers. That's, that's who it was. Thank you. So, yeah, it, it, heading into that season, you're like, if they have a quarterback, this is easily a, a top 15 team. And we just didn't know what they, that they had the quarterback, I guess. Um, but, you know, the schedule was still a little bit – uh, different. Obviously, heading into 2012, it certainly seemed like Alabama and LSU were were incredible, but maybe not L- maybe not Mississippi State. Definitely not um, Auburn after right. what happened to them in 2011. And so, I think the schedule is much deeper. Obviously, Clemson is a, is a little different too. So you're looking at a similar team, but just with a, a, an absolutely impossible schedule, and um, <laughs> that made things pretty tricky in 20. Well, it will make things pretty tricky this fall, I should say. Right. If we can get Manzel production though, uh, a quarterback will be fine. I think Kellen Mond just needs yeah, to get I, to I that level. Yeah, I don't think would object, right? You, you wouldn't complain <laughs> if that were to happen. Yeah, then maybe you steal two of those games, right? <laughs> two, of, two, of right the four, exactly. yeah. two of the four Giants. Um, just in terms of overall college football, uh, do any teams stick out in your mind or pop out of the S&P Plus as teams you expect to be the most improved or have the biggest drop-offs? So kind of each end of that spectrum. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly, you, when you look at those returning production numbers that I posted uh, a while back now, like you can certainly find some teams in there that uh, maybe the, the production is going gonna, is gonna to make things a little bit weird. But, um, you know, overall, I don't think there are, any too, there are too many dramatic surprises. I, I guess I am on an A&M podcast, so I can point out that from a numbers perspective, Texas is dramatically overrated not that you got not that you care about texas or texas cares about you at all no i i had forgotten about them they i totally didn't have a a question coming up about how overrated they are right exactly (laughs) that's obvious but um they are a team that um maybe not because of returning production well partially because of returning production because they lost like their top two or three tacklers at every level of the defense yeah um but they are a team that just hasn't been consistent at all under Tom Herman, but it peaked at the right moments. And that seems to be Tom Herman's thing. And so 
if you can do that and then not lose to Maryland or whoever this year's Maryland is, then that's great. But they haven't, they haven't done that yet. And, and so I do have a lot of questions about them and, and their ability to produce. And I'm sure you will push back hard on that. I'm kind of uh, sky is falling type Aggie. And I believe that Texas is going to beat <laughs> LSU. Uh, and that just, I think it protects me mentally against what might happen, but I could see them like coming out and beating LSU and having all this hype and then losing to Baylor. Yeah. Losing to Baylor, losing to Oklahoma state for like the fifth straight year. Yeah. I mean, that's, that has been their thing so far. And it's been very frustrating. Number one, cause it makes my numbers look weird and I get yelled <laughs> at by Texas fans, but also just right. because like once I enjoy watching great, football and, and when you prove what you're capable of and then you do as little as possible against Maryland and Tulsa and Kansas and all these other teams and you risk losing with like one bad bounce it does get kind of frustrating just as a viewer as well yeah yeah and I um, see I enjoy the chaos when Texas has all these close games against inferior opponents but then obviously when they win games like Georgia I get I get right. frustrated I would imagine <laughs> which uh, which which fan base gets after you the most. Well, what's funny is it really does change every single year. Like the names change, like the the, the <laughs> visceral uh, reaction, or you know the the general obscenity stays the same. But it does at least the job allows me to get yelled at by different people each year. So like one year <laughs> in 2013, because of SP, I was the first person saying we should be taking Florida State really, really, really seriously. Okay. Um, because that was, there was a big ain't played nobody pushback there. And I mean, they were dominating at pretty historic levels and that turned out to be pretty good. And so FSU fans loved me in 2013. Then I spent most of 2014 saying they're underachieving and, and they're frustrating and they're probably like barely a top 15 team. I, and that got me, a different reaction from FSU fans. So <laughs> that is the one plus. Like FSU fans were bad one year. Iowa fans were bad one year. Um, Texas fans this past offseason. Clemson fans, when I said that on paper, they probably weren't really 28 points better than Alabama. Uh, that got me yelled at a lot. But yeah, I mean, at least the names change. I get to picture different locations around the country. Okay. We're, we're really fickle too. So we, we will, uh, you know, be your number one advocate fan base for a month and then turn on you very quickly. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. LSU fans were like that last year. I said they were uh, they're probably a little lucky early in the year, and I got yelled at by LSU fans. But by the end of the year, after they lost to AM, I was saying this is still a great team. So it was a it's an up and down relationship. <laughs> Very good. The uh, I'm curious to see if that changes now at ESPN versus SB Nation. I, I know a lot of people kind of uh, you know come from the same fan pool, but I just, I feel like you're going to get yelled at more broadly now. So I'm interested to follow that. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is. Every single thing has a, like, it'll be the normal reaction plus the typical ESPN always hating my team kind of stuff that I've already seen a decent amount of. And it's, it's been impressive people and FBI is the same way. I mean, people just react with hatred towards anything that they feel is getting pushed at them. And uh, so they, everybody's rebelled from F, uh, against FBI from the, mo- from the moment it was released, even though it's a good number. So uh, it's kind of been funny to watch that from the inside a little bit. My favorite thing, and I didn't realize they were doing this, is that I noticed Texas fans this offseason calling ESPN E-S-E-C-P-N, and right. Texas A&M fans call it <laughs> E-S-I-P-P-N. Like T-SIPs. Ah, yes. So I, I think that dynamic's fun where both of those fan bases ah. feel like ESPN's out to get them. So I'm looking forward to probably participating in that if we're being honest. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's honesty's good there because I'm pretty sure you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and and you're you're a Mizzou guy, but I don't. I never feel like you're like biased toward them, which is a nice thing about S and P Plus generally is that it's it's fairly dispassionate. But uh, we were talking the other day about the SEC, and I, I know it doesn't look like conference realignment's gonna result in these 16 team power conferences. Right. But in your opinion, if the SEC did add two teams and go to 16, do any two teams stick out as like the perfect fit or at least a, a decent fit for the SEC? I mean, West Virginia is an obvious one. Um, you know, the moonshine would be welcomed in many corners, <laughs> I would assume. Like that, that whole, that vibe, obviously, and I know a lot of people from the SEC country wanted them instead of Missouri, which, you know, tough. But um <laughs> Outside of West Virginia, two other things. I, I, I was saying this in like 2012. I still believe it. Like this is where the, the SEC has clout, and they should go out and try to find every chip on shoulder uh, in the in in the relative region. And they should add Oklahoma State and NC State. Just get every single chip on every single shoulder. <laughs> uh, bring in these bring in two programs with massive with high potential um, and and, a, and some anger issues. Right, right. Let them uh, let them try to fit in, in in the SEC. I think that would be amazing. So um, yeah, when when Oklahoma goes independent, yeah, <laughs> uh, then the SEC should move to scoop up Oklahoma State. That's funny. I I like the West Virginia pick too because we're uh, we used to have kind of a, a semi rivalry with Texas Tech here at A and M, and we're missing that mm-hmm. like really angry fan base that that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And I, I think that <laughs> I think we would welcome that again as well. Yeah, no, it it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very good. I'm going to cut you loose in a minute here. I wanted to ask you, what's your next book going to be about? So you have, you have two <laughs> or two or three successful books now. Uh, well, I mean, success is I have the beholder, but you know, they've sold. Um, <laughs> no, I, it is funny. Cause I mean, I think a lot of people always have a book uh, like on the back burner at ESPN. So I need to jump in, but yeah. I've had a lot of ideas. Like it's, there, there's something to be said for for writing for uh, writing an embed type piece, like following a team around in the fall, uh, and and write, maybe trying to write a uh, kind of the general embed piece, but from an analytical perspective. Um, there's something I've I've always wanted to write uh, something about HBCU history. I've been hoping somebody else would in the meantime, so right. uh, so I could read it. And there's actually a book about Willie Gaither and, and Florida A and M that just came out that I'm looking forward to reading. But um, like those are those, those have been the biggest things. Like the little things in history will bite me, that, and I need to write them down so I remember them later. But coming up with with a, a kind of a from the inside look, especially with analytics departments popping up in the college ranks, I think that's probably the most likely. But we'll see. That'll change tomorrow. So those are only my answers for today. Okay, that's fair. And they, I imagine some of our listeners were fans of podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, version mm-hmm. 1.0. Are you going to do any uh, podcasting over there at ESPN? Yeah, like uh, supposedly there's going to be. I'm going to be involved with Championship Drive this coming fall, um, and we'll we'll see. Like, well, you know, who knows how how things actually play out now? But that's I think one of the goals. Um, and as far as <clears throat> podcasting down the line, all I will tell anybody who who enjoys me or follows me or whatever um, this fall. If I write something, please click on it and read it. If I appear on television, please watch it. And if I appear on a podcast, please listen to it. And that will certainly increase the odds of things happening, of of what happens down the line. But no, we're (laughs) just kind of playing it by ear right now. There are a lot of intentions and a lot of ideas, and, and we'll just see what actually works. 
Good. See, I'm I'm typically a pretty disorganized person, but the best thing I did was when I when I promoted you coming on the show, I actually linked to your article, and uh, I'll link to it in the show notes too, so that people go in and <laughs> read your SEC West preview. And I know uh, Robert RCB on our site wrote a little response to your SEC mm-hmm. West preview. So we're doing our part, even though you're not uh, uh, p- part of the SB Nation family anymore. We. Uh, we like your work and we want to follow what you're doing at ESPN. And even though we have this tension with we're like the football should be fun site. I do think the statistics are what make it fun for some people. You know, and I, well, I mean, I appreciate that. And I do say like the one thing that I've always used stats for that, uh, that, that I appreciate that I, I don't know if anybody else does that I do is it, it, it allows me to find stories. It allows me to like, why is this team doing well? Why is this team ranked as high or low as they are? And, and, you know, just, it, it allows me to try to find little nuggets of, of information or figure out that New Mexico state might make a bowl this year and hop on that bandwagon and all these other things. So it's actually as dispassionate as it can be. Sometimes it's made things fun for me yeah. in terms of trying to identify stories to, to follow. So hopefully that's worked out that way for others too. And you probably drive more podcast conversations than anybody else in the college football world, <laughs> even if you're not named. It's just giving people ideas for, you know, what kind of topic <laughs> can we bring to the table during, you know, the dog days of summer when nothing else is happening, especially. Well, that's that's good, too. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. Good. You're in demand, right? That's that's good. That's the idea. So. <laughs> But uh, you're awesome. I, I appreciate you coming on the show. I think you were you were already too high caliber for us when you were in the same network at SB Nation, and now you've slid over to ESPN and you're still willing to come on and talk to me. So I I do really appreciate your time and your input. And of course, we'll be following along um, with with your projections versus how A and M actually does. And when we win ten games, <laughs> I'll come back and be like, Bill, you're biased and your numbers are terrible. What's going on? I welcome it. <laughs> And your your Twitter handle changed, right? You're now ESPN Bilsey. What is it? Um, yeah, ESPN underscore Bilsey. I had a chance to get rid of the underscore, so I don't have to say that in every radio interview, but I did not. It's ESPN <laughs> underscore Bilsey. ESPN underscore Bilsey. All right, awesome. Go follow Bill. Uh, we'll link to uh, some of his articles in the show notes, and uh, I'm sure we will write articles about your articles in the fall as well. So we'll, <laughs> we will be following. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Thank you. Obviously, I'll appreciate it if you subscribe on iTunes. I know we have like three feeds out there right now, but uh, they're going to consolidate all those into into one show. So it should be a little easier to manage going forward. All right. That's all we have this morning. I think the next interview will probably be Bruce Feldman, but uh, we're still working out some of the scheduling stuff there. So it could be anybody. And if you have ideas for guests for the show, um, just let us know. Uh, send me send me a tweet or a, a direct message and, and we'll get it set up. All right. Y'all have a good rest of the day. Take care.